The Lord be with you. Good morning and welcome. Uh, it's a delight to see so many of you here. Uh, this is a happy day, of course, for St. Philip's to have over 75 confirmands at this service alone. Um, that's really quite remarkable. And bear in mind, that's not all of our confirmands. Because we had so many youth, we could not accommodate the adults. So this Wednesday, we are going to have another confirmation service, and the bishop has agreed to come back, and uh, God bless him, and uh, perform those confirmations as well. So this is a wonderful day in the life of the congregation. Bear in mind, some churches do not have 75 people in the pews on Sunday, so to be able to have 75 confirmands is a wonderful thing. As I'm sure most of you are aware, this is going to be a longer service Um, But nevertheless, it is well worth it to be able to see all of these young people confirmed and make this profession of faith in the presence of the bishop. And we want to thank all of those who worked so hard to make this happen, in particular the entire Phillips family and all of their assistants. We want to thank them so much for their hard work and the time and the effort that they put into it, not just this year, uh, but Al, you've been doing this, you and your family, for how many years? About 21 years. Now, that's real dedication. So we want to thank them all for their hard work. Uh, I am not going to steal the bishop's thunder today. Um, We are pleased to have with us uh, the new bishop of the diocese, Bishop Chip Edgar. Uh, This is his first official visit to St. Philip's. He's been here on a couple of other occasions for worship services, but this is his first official visit. And uh, obviously we are going to give him a workout today. So without further ado, uh, Bishop, the floor is yours. So um, just so we're all on the same page, uh, I am going to increase the total number of people I have confirmed factorially today. Um, So um, I'm I'm still learning. If I goof up, apologies in advance, doing the best I can. Um, But, you know, we'll get through it. It's going to be great. So uh, I, I do want to... Thank St. Philip's. Uh, I want to thank the clergy who have made um, me feel really welcome here and among y'all. I um, want to thank all of you uh, who have welcomed us so much in. My wife, Beth, who loves very little more than coming to St. Philip's uh, to worship. She loves um, the preaching. She loves the choir, the organ music. She loves it all, so steals over here every chance she get. But she loves our granddaughter more. Um, and so she had the chance to be with her and to help take care of her this week. So she's not with me this morning, and she's sad about that. So our apologies um, that, that Beth is not with me this morning. Let's pray together, and then we will tuck in. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that you would look um, graciously lovingly, and with your favor on all of us, but particularly on this group of 70-some who are to confirm their faith, have their, their faith confirmed um, this morning. I pray that this would, while it is something of a rite of passage, I pray that it would not just be a rite of passage, but I pray for each one of them that they would hear your word, and particularly your word to them, 
that you love them, that they belong to you, and that that would uh, generate in them, yield in them, a desire to follow you faithfully, to set out even beginning this morning, although for most of them, for all of them, the journey doesn't absolutely begin this morning, but has begun earlier, but, but they would set out on a journey of a long obedience in the same direction with you, that they would not be distracted by the cares and concerns of the world around them, but that they would be focused in everything that they think and say and do on being people of your mercy and your grace in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name for them. Amen. Amen. Now, um, I have a, a little wireless mic, so I can move a little bit. I can get away. Can you still hear me? Oh, excellent. So, um, so this is what I want to do with the confirmands. I'm going to take just a few minutes, but what I want to do is tell you a little bit about what is going to happen to you and why. We're just going to spend, it's probably going to be about 20, maybe 25 minutes doing that. And then I think that they're going to, y'all will leave, right, at that point. Uh, and then the rest of us will be left. So, um, so here's what happens. So, so let me just really briefly, um, does anybody of you confirmants, do you know what the definition of a sacrament is? A sacrament is, and here we go, we got a hand. Right, so it's an outward sign, an outward invisible sign of... Right, an, an inward spiritual something that's going on inside of you. Exactly. Nailed it. Good, good, good. So, an outward invisible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Now, the, that's not, I mean, while we sort of talk about that mostly within the world of the church, the fact of the matter is this sort of notion of, of sort of the sacramental idea that an outward invisible thing conveys an inward and spiritual something or... or an outward thing, visible, conveys an inward, invisible thing, is not all that uncommon to us. We have signs that point to other things readily in our world. So, for instance, if I had a $20 bill, I never have a $20 bill, but if I had a $20 bill on me, I could hold it up and I could ask you, is this $20? And I think everybody in the room, even if we have folks in the room um, who work for the Federal Reserve Bank and who probably know better, um, everybody would say, yeah, that's $20. But the truth of the matter is that $20 bill is legal tender for $20. It's a sign of $20 worth of transactional goods and things like that. So in a way, a $20 bill is really small S, as small as you can get the S on your computer font face, sacramental. It's a sign of something else. And just like we would all say, well, you know, if I'm holding that $20 bill, I'm in fact holding $20. It doesn't matter if there's some distance between the sign and the thing it signifies. I'm happy to have the sign because it conveys the thing. And that's what God has told us in relationship to the sacraments and to these sacramental rites that flow out of the sacraments, the two sacraments being baptism and the Lord's Supper, and then these other things that we do sort of in some way connected to those. Um, uh, God has said, if you do these outward invisible signs, I'll show up. So we, we can rely on God every bit as much of, in fact, I would offer substantially more than we could rely on the Federal Reserve Bank to make sure that that $20 bill uh, acquires $20 worth of goods for us, right? It, it just, if you don't remember anything else, remember going forward that 
a 20, uh, that God's faithfulness is way more than the federal government's faithfulness. Anyway, um, I'm not going to go to politics. We're not Thank doing politics. <laughs> That's exactly right. So, so what is the outward and visible sign of confirmation? Does anybody know? Among the car, you're killing it this morning. Excellent. It's the laying on of hands. That's the sign. So baptism has a sign. What is that sign? Water. Holy communion has a sign. What is that? Bread and wine. Exactly. Confirmation, the sign is the laying on of hands. And so this morning, when you come forward, I'm going to lay my hands on you and I'm going to pray a prayer. And the the prayer is that God would do what God said he is going to do when we do the outward invisible sign of laying on of hands. Now, just uh, so that you know, and a caveat is important here, I'm actually going to do more than just the laying on of hands. Um, There's a couple little actions that go along with it, but they're not the sacramental actions. They're just um, what I hope are some actions that teach. And I'm going to, I'll tell everybody, the clergy I think probably already know this, everything I'm going to say for the next couple of minutes was stolen from Bishop Mark Lawrence. Um, I went to bishop school for about seven or eight weeks, and that is I followed him all around, watched what he did, listened to what he said. We had um, meetings at his table during the mornings, and he taught me um, what, well, he taught me more than I learned, let's put it that way, about being a bishop. Um, and, And as I went with him to a couple confirmation services and heard him do this talk, I just thought, this is just one of the most perfect talks I've ever heard. So I said to him, how much would it cost to buy the rights to that talk? Um, and he was gracious and kind. He didn't charge me very much at all. Um, and so I just said, I'm going I'm to keep going with this tradition in this diocese because it's beautiful and it's powerful. So what, what is involved? The first, the first bit, I'm going to do five things, really. It's going to happen so quick that you may not be aware of all five of them. I'm going to lay my hands on your head. I'm going to anoint you with oil, the sign of the cross, on your forehead. At one point during the prayer that I pray over you, I'm going to lift my hand up for a second, then I'm going to bring it back down. Then I'm going to bring my hands around to the sides of your face. I'm going to hold, and, and, and I prompt, like, if the other folks I've confirmed are any uh, indicator of what's going to come, you'll probably feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, I'm going to put my hands on the sides of your face, and then I'm going to slap you <laughs> right at the end. Now, here's the deal. I'm not actually going to slap you. It's going to be a, a real gentle pat. Now, what... I know is that every bishop who does confirmations and does this little tap on the cheek says, now in the good old days, the bishop really slapped you. I have this feeling that in the good old days, the bishop said, now in the good old days, the bishop really slapped you. I think Augustine of Hippo said, in the good old days, the bishop slapped you. So it may have always been a little tap on the cheek. Um, But those are the five things that I'm going to do. Lay my hands on your head, anoint you with oil and the sign of the cross on your forehead. Um... Lift my hand just for a second, bring my hands around to either side of your face, and then a little tap on the cheek. Why am I doing those things? Well, I'm laying hands on your head because that is a sign of the conveyance of a gift that goes back to the earliest days of the church, and it it shows up in any number of forms. So just a little over a month ago, um, bishops laid their hands on my head. And they brought me into the line of bishops. That includes my predecessor, Mark Lawrence. He had bishops laid on 
his, he, he had bishops' hands laid on his head 14 years ago. And in that group of bishops that laid hands on his head was Fitzsimmons Allison, who had had hands laid on his head uh, by bishops who had had hands laid on their heads by bishops all the way back to Robert Smith, who was the first bishop of the Diocese of South Carolina, who had had hands laid on his head by Samuel Seabury, who was one of the first bishops in the American church, who had had hands laid on his head by Robert Kilgore. Robert Kilgore was the Archbishop of Scotland, from whom uh, we got the laying on of hands, who had had hands laid on his head by a man named John Moore, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury in Kilgore's lifetime, who had had hands laid on his head, had had hands laid on his head, had had hands laid on his head, all the way back to Augustine of Canterbury, who um, came to the British Isles in 597 to bring the gospel to the Angles and Saxons in order to make them Christians and to establish the church, who, Augustine of Canterbury, had had hands laid on his head by Pope Gregory the Great, who sent him over to do that. Now, when I was in seminary, we talked about this idea of apostolic succession, the laying on of hands, and we, we sort of said as a matter of, depends on who you were, either faith or ecclesial theory, um, that it traces all the way back to the apostles, when I was standing in Canterbury, standing there next to Augustine's throne, and thought to myself, well, I mean, we know everybody whose hands were laid on all the way down through since 597. That's a whole lot longer than from 597 to about 100 or 70 AD. And suddenly I started thinking, so, so the hands laying on goes all the way back to Peter and James and John, and Paul, who were commissioned by Jesus to take the gospel into the whole world. So when I lay my hands on your head, I'm going to, kind of, I'm going to press down a little bit. You're going to feel it. Um, and, and I'm going to do that because I want you to feel, in the laying on of hands, that this is not just some transaction for you personally, but you are being brought into this long line of Christians who stretch back farther than we can see, and if the Lord continues to delay his coming, we'll stretch forward into the future farther than we can probably see. And you'll be taking your place in a line of faithful Christian following of Jesus. And so I'm going to press down on your foreheads a little bit in the hopes that that, that sense of weightiness will come to you, that you'll, you'll, you'll sense that somehow. Uh, because what's happening here is not just about you, it's about you taking your place in the long line of faithful Christians. And I, and I hope by pressing down a little bit, you'll, you'll feel the burden and the weight of that. So that's the first thing. On my way to doing that, I'm going to have dip my thumb in some oil, and I'm going to make that sign of the cross as I'm putting my um, hands on your head. And, and when I make the sign of the cross on your forehead, I'm doing that because... If you have been well taught here at St. Philip's, I have no idea that you, I have no doubt that you have. But if you've been well taught, you know that your salvation is a free gift of grace to you. It's not dependent on you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. It's given to you freely. But just because salvation is free does not mean that salvation came cheaply. The salvation that has been given as a gift to you was won for you the incredibly high price 
of the cross of Jesus' own life on the, at the price of Jesus' own life on the cross. He gave up his life so that he could give freely to you the gift of salvation. So when I make the sign of the cross on your forehead, what I'm hoping to, to sort of, again, press upon you, all these manual acts, I'm going to press upon you that your salvation has been won for you at the cost of Jesus shedding his blood for you. And that's, that's huge. That matters. I'm going to do that with oil. Now, if we, could, if we just stopped and we took a trip through the pages of Scripture from um, the earliest pages of Genesis all the way through to Revelation, and we just looked at oil as it shows up in Scriptures, we'd see a couple of things. One, that, that people were anointed with oil um, when they were made kings. Think about that. I have a favorite little story, I think it's G.K. Chesterton that wrote it, and he begins, and he talks about how once upon a time there was a princess. And this voice, kind of from outside of the story, interjects and says, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't call her a princess. And he says, why not? He says, oh, can you start calling girls princesses and boys princes? They're going to get big heads, they're going to think they matter, they're going to get all conceited and everything. And, and, and the storyteller says, well, what exactly do you mean by the word prince or princess? He says, well, the prince or the princess is the son or daughter of the king. And so the storyteller says, okay then. So once upon a time, there was a princess. Because you may not know this, you may not be aware of it, but as you're brought into the family of God, you become children of the king of the universe. And with that anointing with oil, you're stepping into a royal lineage. The God of the universe, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, now you belong to him. You are a princess or a prince in his royal line. Prophets were anointed with oil. Um, priests were anointed with oil. And so you, as you're anointed with oil, you're given this incredible message. And, and you're called to take a place where you intercede for those people around you. You proclaim the word and you intercede on their behalf that the gospel of salvation would come through you, we hope and trust, to them at some point. So that, that symbol of the anointing with oil is itself a really powerful symbol. Okay, so I'm going to lay my hands on your forehead. I'm going to anoint you on your forehead in the sign of the cross with some oil. Um, and then as I pray the prayer, I'm going to lift my hand and I'm going to bring it back down. And the whole point of this prayer is that the Holy Spirit would move on you today in a more powerful way, in a, in, a, in a kind of fullness that you have not experienced up to this point in your life. That you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and equipped to do ministry in the world. Um, that Holy Spirit is poured out um, on you. Uh, we learn from Jesus in Acts chapter 1, he tells his disciples that they're supposed to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit is poured out on them. And then when the Holy Spirit is poured out on them, he takes up residence. And, and these two words are used frequently in the New Testament with regards to the Holy Spirit. They first show up, I think, in John 13 or 14. He's poured out in you, and he's promised to always be with you. Now, why does that matter? That the Holy Spirit is poured out on you so that he'll be in you and with you. He's in you because, again, you've, you've been trained, you've been taught. We believe that until the gospel of salvation takes root in our hearts and makes us alive again, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And so the Holy Spirit takes up root in you. He takes away 
the dead heart with which we were born and gives us his own new living heart inside of us. So Paul can say in in Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, yet Christ now lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. So the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you and gives you a life that you did not have before. Makes you alive in a way that you never had been before and could not be on your own. But he also promises to be with you. Why does that matter? Because my hunch is that at some point in your life, even up till now, and I can every single person in the room knows that what I'm telling you is true, you will feel alone. You will feel like nobody understands you, nobody gets you. You've probably had the experience, I know I have, where I've been in a circle of my very best friends and I say something and everybody looks at you like you're an alien. Like, the, you know, and you go, nobody gets me, nobody understands me. <laughs> I have been married to Beth for 33 years almost. And there are still moments when I will say something to her or do something for her that I really think as soon as I say this, she is going to be so happy. She's going to be blessed. Or as soon as I do this, it's just going to make her day. And I say it and she goes, why would you say that? And I think, man, if this person who I've shared life with for the past 32 years, if she doesn't understand me, who possibly could? And you feel so alone. And I I, I look at, I guarantee, I trust, I know that you know that feeling of being all alone. But when we pray that the Holy Spirit would be with you, A promise is made to you that no matter what you feel, you will never again be alone. Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is always with you. Even in those times where you wish he wasn't, even in those times where you sort of set out to do something that you know you shouldn't do, he's with you. He will always be with you. Those moments when you're desperate and afraid and scared, he's with you. So, I'll raise my hand really briefly because I want to remind you that the Holy Spirit is being poured out on you in that moment so that he can take up residence in you and always be with you. Then the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to bring my hands down around to either side of your face. And that's, that really is, it's the most uncomfortable moment, I think, for most people. They're like, you know, ah. Here's why I do that. Because, again, just sort of like that whole feeling of being alone, we grow up somehow thinking that in order to be loved by people around us, and and it transfers to God, in order to be loved by God, we think that we have to do things good. We have to be beautiful. We have to be handsome. We have to be good at sports. We have to be uh, straight-A students. We We have to somehow prove ourselves. We have to put our best face forward in order for people to love us. And if we don't, If we fail to be the very best version of ourselves, then we're afraid that we're going to get left alone, that we're not going to be loved. But when I put my hands around on either side of your face, what I'm hoping for, I'm going to stare at you. You don't have to stare back at me. I know that would make you really uncomfortable. But I'm going to be staring at you in that moment. And, And as I'm staring at you in that moment, what I'm praying for 
is that the Lord would give me, even if it's just for a fraction of a second, that view of you that he has. He sees you just as you actually are. Not at your best, not when you're performing on the athletic field or dressing up for a date or doing your best work on a paper or a test. Not when you're at your best. He looks at you and he loves you just because you're you. So I want you to hear, and in that moment, I I hope it, it takes a deep root in you. The Lord God of the universe loves you. He loves you. You are here today because before you said or did anything good, he loves you. And my hope and prayer is that you'll know that even at your worst, the God of the universe loves you. And then the last thing I'm going to do is a little bitty sort of pat on the cheek, a slap, to remind you, this is a great moment. I mean, here you are, guys got their coats and ties, and and girls, you look beautiful, every single one of you, uh, in your dresses, and it's a great moment. You've got family and friends together. My guess is that you're going to have a nice meal afterwards. There may be some gifts exchanged. This is a great moment. But when you take your place in the line of the church, Jesus has made a promise to us. He said, the world has hated me. And if it hates me, it's going to hate the people that follow me. And whether you know it or not, there is a cost that will attend to the decision that you've made to be confirmed. And that will be that there will be some moment, maybe as simple as your friends decide to do something that you know that you're not supposed to do, and because you have claimed Jesus as your Savior, you say, I'm not going to go with you. I'm not going to do that. And they make fun of you. Or they go, you know, what a loser. And they, they cut you out of their circle of friends because you won't go along. Um, I, I've watched that happen to my kids. They've chosen not to participate in things. And because of that, friend groups have fallen apart. That slap is to remind you that there is always a cost to following Jesus. So even on this most beautiful day when we're happy about this and excited about this, I'm going to remind you that this decision to be confirmed bears with it part and parcel of the decision. At least the possibility, if not the assurance, that it's someday you'll suffer for your decision to follow Jesus. Okay, so I'm going to lay my hands on you. I'm going to anoint you with oil in the shape of the cross on your forehead. I'm going to raise my hand just for a second. I'm going to bring my hands around to either side of your face, and then I'm going to give you a little tap on the cheek. And that's why. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, I pray that these confirmands would know how much you love them. And that you have pledged through the laying on of hands to pour out your Holy Spirit in a new way and always be with them, come what may. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you everybody for giving me a little bit of your time. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, one more thing. I've been asked, do me a favor, everybody who's going to be confirmed. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But I want, to, I want to say to you that if you're going to continue on in this journey, this long obedience in the same direction that I prayed about before I began talking to you, if you're going to continue on that, you can't just do that by dropping off the map now. You're going to have to put yourself in places where you'll be discipled and taught and encouraged, where you'll have a group that surrounds you to, to walk that journey with you. 
And so I'm putting in a plug for you um, for all of the programs that are here at St. Philip's for you. Participate in youth group. Go to Sunday school. Do all those things where you'll intentionally put yourself into the same place that you're in now and not fall apart. Because I guarantee you, it's like if you've, if you've ever had a, if you ever been at a campfire, right? You put a bunch of sticks in there and get them on fire, they start, they, they burn really nicely. You take one stick out of the fire, the rest of the fire is going to keep burning. What's going to happen to that stick? It's going to go out. This, whatever's happening today, will be quenched. It'll begin to fade away if you don't stay part of that fire. So please get involved. Put yourself in a place where that fire can burn more brightly and more deeply within you. Now, go.